Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of the podcast where we're going to be breaking down the UFC on ESPN Plus 13 card which was headlined by Jermaine Durandamy and Aspen Ladd. Uh, great fight in 135 pound division and uh, yeah I mean the main card when I look at it there's some good fights on it don't get me wrong like good matchups but nothing I look at and I'm like man that's a real fucking barn burner you know. There will be some fun ones some potentially but I can see a lot of them kind of being slow-paced and grindy type of fights. But we'll get into that a little bit more. Before we kick off breaking down the main card, though, we got to talk about UFC 239 and uh, the results from that. So first off, you got Michael Chiesa, and he fights Diego Sanchez to open up the main card. And I mean, basically, that fight kind of went how I expected, right? Like, I understand that Diego Sanchez ran through Mickey Gall and uh, who was the other kid that he just beat. Some other, like, relatively fresh kid, right? But, like, Michael Chiesa's tough 15 you know he won tough 15 uh seasoned veteran and man just younger more crisp is and it, it but the fight took place primarily on the ground and Kiesa just dominated him from start to finish I mean there wasn't even really a, a moment of the fight where I felt like man Diego has a chance here you know Kiesa was just in total control and I actually would have liked to see him hunt for the finish a little bit more but I mean Sitting where I am, that's a lot easier said than done, right? Like, that motherfucker's in there, and Diego Sanchez is... I mean, if... Diego's been fighting since Napoleon was a cadet, you know? Like, if if Michael Chiesa is considered a seasoned vet, then Diego Sanchez is... I mean, he, he won the first season of The Ultimate Fighter. He's been around for forever. He's a legend in the sport, you know? So finishing him is not as easy as I think, especially on the ground where Diego's... Diego's a really good grappler, so... Not really fair of me to throw criticism his way, but I do think there were some opportunities that he could have got Diego out of there and just, I mean, regardless, it was a brilliant display of jiu-jitsu. I mean, he looked he looked excellent, and 170 pounds is definitely the weight class for Michael Chiesa, and I don't want to see him rush it because one of the things that I think with these people, with people jumping up weight classes, right, is that's a lot more muscle to carry around, man. Like, we'll talk about this more in the next fight when we get into the next between Luke Rockhold and Jan Blachowicz, but... It's just a lot more weight to carry around. And, like, I think your very first fight, it's it's complicated, man. Like, you're trying to get used to what your body feels like. And and no matter what you do, nothing is going to prepare you for the adrenaline dump, too. You know? Like, there's when you get out there and you're all fired up and you're feeling good, you might feel good all through training camp. But when you're fighting another guy, Diego also is a guy who's bounced around weight classes and might be a little small for 170. I think the weight cutting is probably hard on his body as he gets older, but... The point is that some of these guys go up there like Max and Dustin Poirier was a good example to me. Like you got to remember, Max might be a big 145er, but Dustin's been fighting at 155. You know, like his body is conditioned for that weight class now. You can tell that he's added some more muscle on. He looks way better. And Max looked like he he's a big guy, but he looked like a 45er going up to fight a 55er, you know? And uh, there wasn't as much pop on his punches and stuff. I, I think that Max could be successful at 155. I just think that it would take some time for him to get his body adjusted to that weight class. Um, But anyway, Chiesa looked great, dominated Diego Sanchez, picked up a big win. And then you move on and Luke Rockhold fights Jan Blachowicz. And what we were just talking about, man, you're talking about going from you normally on fight night when you got all the adrenaline and everything and it's a different atmosphere, right? Like no matter how much you train in the the gym and how, how, how good you feel, it's not the same thing. When you get in the cage, there's just something different. And Luke looked really good early. The kicks were powerful. You know, he was moving Jan back with him. His 
Luke Rockhold has so much fucking snap on his kicks, it's ridiculous. He's, he can generate so much goddamn power with those things. But, again, he and then he tried to, he, he pushed him up against the cage, and I think he tr- thought he was going to take him down, but Jan Blahowicz's specialty, it's grappling, man. Like, that's what he's good at. I didn't, and I think that when Luke did that, it wore him out more than he expected it to because you're going against a legit light heavyweight. And also, I don't, I don't like the matchup for Luke's first fight at one at two hundred five. You're talking about a guy who got knocked out twice at 185 pounds, and you're putting him up against a guy who is, I mean, not John Jones level, right? But I mean, you're, he's a contender at 205 pounds, no doubt about it. Jan Blahowicz is very talented, and uh, I just think that Luke needed a more reasonable fight to introduce himself to that weight class and then the way he got knocked out i mean you gotta wonder if what's next for him is retirement i mean he got knocked out and all the knockouts are the same like he gets dropped with a big bomb and then he gets fucking blasted when he's basically unconscious on the ground uh michael bisbing rocked him with the left hand sat him down and then as he's up against the cage blasted him in the face yoel romero knocked him down blasted him in the face like start punching him in the face as he was on the ground Jan Blahowitz did the same fucking thing, man. I mean, he suffered some brutal knockouts, and he's injury-plagued. I mean, Luke Rockwood is a very talented fighter, but the matchup just seemed it seemed like too much too soon, you know? And if you look at skill-wise, I still think that skill-wise, Luke is, I mean, it's hard to say this because he lost, right? But I really do think fatigue was the big, biggest factor in that fight. I think it drained him more than he expected it to, and I... Uh, I think Luke's super talented, but man, I just I think he wore himself out in the grappling exchanges, and it led to a kind of sloppy fight on his end. Um, I don't know, man. I, I, Luke's not uh, he's not somebody you want to see retire because like you look at him, and like I said, you look at the potential that he has, and it's like, god damn, man, this guy's good, right? Like he's clearly very talented, but there comes a time, man. You've suffered three brutal knockouts, and I mean, who are you gonna fight next at two hundred five? You know. And that kind of highlights, like, is he ever going to be able to beat John up there? I don't know, man. I, it, it seems like a far – it's a stretch for him to be able to pull that off, I think. Um, then you move on to Jorge Masvidal versus Ben Askren. And leading up to this fight, there's a bunch of shit talk, right? Like, I don't really know. I, I, I don't really have a side, right? Like, I, I wasn't involved in it. I don't really know what the fuck was happening. But from the highlights I've seen, like – Ben talks shit, man. That's just what he does, right? And Jorge comes out and ends the fight in five seconds. Really, it was like two or three seconds. Sprints across the cage, hits Ben with a huge fucking flying knee, and it knocks him out cold. Then he lands a couple extra bombs after and celebrates. And really, it turned. people were asking him why he was celebrating and stuff. And I'm like, <sighs> okay, I can understand how if you weren't following the beef and stuff, you can understand how that's, you would view that as disrespectful or, disrespectful or unsportsmanlike. But I thought Jorge had a very good fucking point in the post-fight press conference when he said, like, why is it okay for people to talk all this stuff? And then after the fight, you know, I'm not allowed to celebrate? It's not like he hit him with extra bombs after the ref pulled him off, which, by the way, those two extra shots, say what you want about him, but you knew going into it that Jorge didn't like Ben. And... It's his job. I mean, it's his job, man. And Jorge, that's just the type of person that Jorge is. Like, if you're Ben Askren, you've got to expect that when you're fighting Jorge. And I mean, goddamn, dude. What do you? I, I can't get mad at him for it. I wasn't upset when I watched the celebration at all. I think the reality of it was that Ben was talking. It pissed Jorge off. 
Jorge's about as real as it gets. I mean, you're talking about a kid who came up street fighting in Kimbo Slice videos, right? And he's one of the more well-rounded and probably underappreciated up until this point martial artist in the game. Jorge Masvidal is fucking legit. Like, he can hang with some of the elite, and he's good at everything. He's I, I didn't understand the underdog. I, I, I did in the sense that I just... I didn't get it because... I mean, the biggest name on Ben Askren's resume before he fought Robbie Lawler was probably Douglas Lima, and they fought in, like, 2012. So, I mean, Jorge Masvidal was, like, a plus-175 underdog, you know? That seemed that, that seemed a little bit – it seemed weird to me just because when I look at – if you look at Ben's hands, he – I mean, if he were to get into any exchange, boxing exchanges with Jorge, I can guarantee it wouldn't have gone well. The only question was going to be whether he can get Jorge down. And Jorge tra- trains with – he trains wrestling with some bad motherfuckers, man. Like, I think he – I put money on Jorge on that fight. I thought he was going to win it. I thought it was a bad matchup for Ben, and I did not expect that to happen. But what are you going to do? But in regards to the celebration, I mean, if you're going to talk the shit and stuff like Ben was and, like, whatever they were doing, then you got to – and Ben handled it well. But I'm just saying, like, if you're going to say that, you you got to be prepared for that shit to happen when you do get knocked out. Like, you got to realize the personality that you're fighting, and if, the, if it doesn't go your way, how are you going to get mad that he celebrated? You know? I was upset when Habib jumped over the thing and everybody jumped and hit Connor, but that was like a different thing. Like Jorge just celebrated, rubbed it in his face a little bit, even though he couldn't see what the fuck was going on, right? He was out cold. But Habib like jumped the fence and went into the crowd and then the guys jumped, his teammates jumped the fence and hit Connor from behind. The whole thing was a fucking mess, right? And even looking back on that, like hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Like when that first happened, I was initially upset, but after it kind of blew over for a few days and you start thinking about it, like, eh, whatever, you know. But I had no problem with Jorge celebrating. I mean, it, it didn't bug me in the slightest. I knew it was coming if he would have won. Like, you knew he didn't like Ben. He made his intentions very clear to people. So I don't know why they were so surprised when he finally did it. Like, Jorge Masvidal is just being Jorge Masvidal. He's a bad motherfucker. And you got to think that what else is next for him? It has to be a title shot. There's no other fucking option. There's no other fight that you could put in front of him that we're going to get excited about now. He just beat a guy who was 20-0, and 19-0, never lost, dominates everybody with the style, and he, he eliminated that in five seconds. Five seconds. One flying knee. And, you know, I know that we didn't get to see the fight play out in full, but – when he ran like that and he threw the knee, like, Ben's immediate reaction was to go for the takedown, you know? Like, I, you kind of got to feel like Jorge had the read on it, man. He deserved the win. It was a good win and one of the more brilliant knockouts in UFC history. I don't know how you don't give him a title shot after that. He deserves it. Especially considering where Colby Covington's at now. I don't care what Colby Covington says. If I was him and Ben Askren just beat Robbie Lawler the way he did that controversial, Robbie's coming up a loss. To me, talk about, like... The, the name behind Robbie Lawler and that all you want. It, this does nothing to push you into title contention. Like, you were the interim title hoarder, and you're going to take a fight against a guy coming off a loss? I don't understand it. If I'm, if I'm Colby, I wouldn't have taken that fucking fight. I would have said no to pretty much everything except for Usman. And now he's put himself in a position where somebody else, like Jorge Masvidal, he just opened up the door for somebody else to get a title shot over him. Because with Colby Covington's style... And just the way that the – I mean, like I said, Robbie's coming off a loss. I don't see how he can beat Robbie and then earn a, 
an immediate title shot in even most of the fans' eyes. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm saying I think that taking the fight with Robbie was a mistake. I think that the negotiations with the UFC will be harder even if he does beat Robbie. And if he does beat Robbie, it's probably not going to be a fun fight to watch Like in, in the fans' eyes. like It's going to be grappling heavy. And the way that Jorge won was so explosive and so you know undeniably conclusive. I don't see how Jorge doesn't get the title shot after that, man. I just don't I don't see it. But uh anyway, Amanda Nunes then knocks out Holy Home in uh the co-main event for the women's bantamweight title. And how can you deny Amanda Nunes' status as the greatest of all time now? She's the best. She's beat everybody who's ever held a title in the women's 135-pound division, knocked out Cyborg at 145. I think she probably is gonna defend at 145. There's not a whole lot left for her at 135. I mean, the girls fighting on the main card that we're going to talk about coming up, Jermaine Duran and me and Aspen Ladd, Jermaine is ranked like number one, but Amanda already has a win over her in the past. And nothing really to prove there. You know, like I, I, a lot of people think that Jermaine ran from Cyborg down to 135 and uh, just kind of, you know, abandoned the division. And then Cyborg went up and knocked – or Amanda went up and knocked Cyborg out. So, you know, I, it's not like – I don't think the winner of this fight is going to necessarily like be guaranteed a title shot or anything like that. Like I don't think there's anything in it for Amanda to take a fight with anyone at 135 pounds now. Um, she could probably if she can defend at 145 and retire. I mean, what a fucking career! And not even amongst women, she's got to be considered one of the greatest of all time in general, right? Like, she's talented, man, and her striking is. Uh, there's nobody else like her at 135 pounds. It's so crisp and it's so. She gets a little wild sometimes, but she really only gets wild when she smells that blood. You know, when she knows she's got you, when she knows that she can be aggressive. And going into this fight, I thought there were going to be a lot of things that Holly would be able to present to her that would cause her problems. And uh, this wasn't the case. I mean, Holly did well early, but Amanda adjusted so quickly. And when she hit her with that head kick, man, it was all over. Uh, so great title defense. Great night of fights, by the way. And then you get to... Tiago Santos and John Jones and you find out that Tiago had like what a fracture in his leg tore his ACL his MCL I think he probably had some existing injuries going into that fight I think I read somewhere that he did but what an impressive performance by him I mean he beat John on one of the scorecards and personally I thought Tiago won the first and second and John won the last three pretty convincingly right but the difference was that, like, John was hitting Tiago with some stuff and just kind of, like, controlling the fight. But t- when Tiago was hitting John, I mean, he was hitting him with some hard fucking shots. And I didn't know what to think of the fight because, like, uh, John's not dumb. Like, normally when John sees blood like that, he he goes after it, right? Like, he's a killer. And when Tiago, when that leg was messed up, I don't know if John was fearful of the power of Tiago. Like, he was afraid that he couldn't get in without ca- getting clipped. Or if he just decided to kind of keep engaging and he got sucked into the nature of what the fight had been so far and he just didn't take him down and he decided, I don't know. I don't know what was going through his head. I know that it wasn't the best performance that we've ever seen from John Jones, but he kind of reminds me of the Pittsburgh Steelers and the fact that he plays down to competition a little bit, right? Like DC said before when he fought OSP, I believe he's like, if I fight that version of John Jones, I win. And then they had the rematch and John knocked him out, you know? And it's like, that might be true, but, like, John rises to the occasion. Like, look at Alexander Gustafson, right? Like, that was a great fight, but John rises to the occasion in big moments, you know? It's like his his game gets elevated when he's fighting somebody else that he knows is elite, and I don't know that he 
I don't know that he viewed guys like OSP and Tiago Santos as elite. And a lot of people are going to look at his performance and go, oh, well, it was kind of lackluster. I'm like, yeah, but what's going to happen when you put him against a top contender? He's, you're going to see his game stepped up. Like, I mean, if you watch the pace that DC and John were fighting at, it was insane. Like, it was aggressive. There was intended violence between the two of them. He's, he's the best, man. I don't care what anybody says. Like, a performance like that isn't going to sway my opinion of him. He, he still beat Tiago in my eyes. And, he's, what, and also, this brings up the question, like, what's next at 205 for John? I think the move – you could have him fight Dominic Reyes, but you're going to – Okay, so 205 is going through this, like, rebirthing almost. Like, like it's been revitalized with all this young talent, like Dominic Reyes, Johnny Walker. I don't think when I watch Dominic Reyes fight that he is ready to fight John Jones. I think that if you give John Jones a fight with Dominic Reyes, you are throwing Dominic to the wolves. I think that Dominic Reyes has championship potential when he has a lot of talent and he could possibly be a champion one day. But if you give him to John right now, John's going to gobble him up and spit him out. Just my opinion. I don't want to see young talent. Like, the fight for John is the move to heavyweight. That's where the fights are, and that's where the talent stays. Uh, it, it, it stays, like, consistent when the fighters are old up there, right? So there's some old guys up there, but the talent's pretty – it's a talent-stacked division in a way. Like, it's like they're able to absorb more punishment and hang around for longer, right? So, like, DC is, what, 40 years old? I mean, holy fuck, man. He's – and John's like, what, 32, 33? Not that old, right? Like, still in his fighting prime. He might even – I don't know how – he's between, like, 30 and 33, I think, or something like that. So, he's – like, light heavyweight is going through this period in time where you've got all these young stars coming up, right? Like, these with a lot of potential, and they're all going to have to – I think they should all have to fight each other, though. Like, John's just going to lay waste to him, and then who knows what it's going to do to their careers when they lose to him. A guy like Tiago Santos makes a little more sense. Like, he's a vet. He's got a lot of fights, you know. But somebody like Dominic Reyes, just because he has an undefeated record, does not mean he's ready for what John brings to the table. I want to see John move up and fight the winner of Stipe in D.C., personally. I think that's the fight. I don't think there's any other fight. And, like, I don't understand. Like, D.C. wants to have the fight at light heavyweight, but, like, why give him that, right? You're, the knockout loss that you suffered to him got overturned. He's on PEDs. Daniel Cormier just won the ESPY for the best MMA fighter. Like, in my opinion – the the cards are still in DC's favor. He has a lot more leverage in this position. Like, make the fight happen at heavyweight. Make, like, 205, like, you just went up and knocked out Stipe and looked good. Like, you got power in your hands at heavyweight, right? Like, if I'm DC, I'm like, no, I want the fight to happen at heavyweight. I want to find out what happens when I run into this motherfucker when I don't have to cut weight and restrict myself. Like, I don't want to put myself through a weight cut to fight this guy. I understand the pride sense of it and, like, wanting to go back and do it where it happened, but fuck that, dude. If you go back down there and you cut weight and you question yourself and you're like, if you do lose to him again and you're like, is it because I cut weight? Like, is it because I did this? Is it because I did that? Man, you just you, – you don't want to be doing that. Like, that's not what you want to be doing in your career, you know? You want to you wanna look You want to look back on that fight with John and that rubber match – or not really a rubber match, right? Like, I think John – the whole steroid thing is whatever, but man, when you look back on things, he would, he would feel better about his career knowing that he beat John when he wasn't diminished. And John's going to be like a decent sized heavyweight, you know, like a steep a sized heavyweight. So it's, I don't know. I think you get a little bit of a watered down version of DC at two Oh five, which is fucking impressive considering what he's pulled off in that division. 
I want to see the fight happen at heavyweight. I want to see what happens when DC doesn't have to drain himself. I think it's a different fight. It's a different dynamic. But uh, anyway, uh, let's move on. Uh, big fight just got announced. Kron Gracie is going to be fighting Cub Swanson. And Kron Gracie is high-level jiu-jitsu, man. High-level. Like, you're talking about direct lineage. Like, his father is uh, Hickson and his grandfather is Helio. Right? I mean, like, you're talking about – the way that one of my instructors described him to me one time is that, like, everybody gets their belts from all these different people, right? Like, uh, and it all originates from the Gracies. So, right, so you've got this, like, you've got this tree that runs up, right? And the further out of the branches you get, like, obviously the further detached you are from the trunk, right? Like, the main, the main source of everything. So when you're talking about Kron Gracie, you're talking about a guy who, like I said, is direct lineage. Like, he, he – his jiu-jitsu is fucking special, and he's fighting a guy in Cub Swanson, man, who's on a four-fight skid, and Kron's only 5-0, and but, and I know Cub's a black belt, but I think it's a tough fight for Cub, man, and I think Cub's kind of assuming the gatekeeper role a little bit at this point in his career. I think he's just getting a little bit old, man. His reaction time isn't there. Some of the things that you would like to see out of him, just like, uh, sorry, some of the things that you're seeing at him, just like things aren't as crisp, really, unless he's fighting someone like Artem Lobov. He kind of shines there, right, because he's just better. But I think it's a tough fight, man. Tough fight for Crone too. I mean, like I understand the matchup because Cub's a seasoned vet. He's on a skid, and it's a way to kind of judge, like, how good is this kid really, right? But I don't know, man. I'd like to see – it's hard, though. Like some of these guys, they want to stick around in the sport for as long as they can and don't really want to walk away from it. I understand that. Like, also, Cubs coming off that split decision loss to Shane Burgos. <sighs> I mean, probably thinking he's got – at some point he's going to eventually get that win, you know, and maybe he will. Maybe he'll teach Corona a lesson. Like, maybe Corona will have trouble taking him down, but I just don't see that being the case. So, uh, I'm interested in the matchup. It's going to be on October 12th on ESPN Plus 19. But I just I, – I really think Cubs slowly transition into that gatekeeper role, man. And you hate to see it. I'm a big Cubs Swanson fan, but reality is reality. And I uh, think we'll get a little bit more insight to that when the fight actually happens. But uh, let's move on to the main card and opening it up. This has been a card that has been littered with injuries, by the way. I think I saw something that said like 46% of the fighters have dropped out or something like that, like that were originally slated to be on the card. But the first fight is going to be between Marvin Vittori and Cesar Fajaya. And uh, Vittori's coming off that loss to Israel Adesanya. It was a split decision, actually, which is crazy because I don't think that Adesanya lost the fight. But there were moments in the fight when Vittori looked good. I think one of the things that kind of throws people when they fight Vittori is that he's, he covers more distance with his punches than you would expect him to, right? Like he can hit you from a little bit further away than you would think he'd be able to. Like Stylebender, you could tell he thought he found the range sometimes, and then Vittori would surprise him and clip him with something. You know what I mean? So I think he's a little bit sneaky in that regard. And he's one of the more promising prospects from Italy. You know, he's kind of their chance at UFC glory, I think, in a way. So, uh, he, and he's good, man. He's got, you know, he's, he's 12 and three or 12 and four. He, uh, he's got some good stand up. Like I said, like there were moments in the fight where I, he was like hanging around with Israel and I think complicating some things, some good head movement and stuff, but, uh, 
he's fighting Caesar Fajaya, who is a, a seasoned black belt, right? And he's coming off he's coming off a loss to Ian Heinish, which was a a good fight and one where I just think that Heinish's like wrestling and grappling background made it a little bit hard for Caesar to overcome that style. But uh, before that, he picked up a win over Carl Robertson with a first-round arm triangle, who's also fighting on this card, by the way. And before that, he beat Nate Marquardt in a split decision. But one of the big differences here is that Marvin Vittori is a lot younger. And Fajaya has good timing on his takedowns and stuff. But, I mean, Vittori fought Antonio Carlos Jr. and didn't get finished by him. And I think Antonio Carlos Jr. is a little bit better than Fajaya, just being honest with the way he strings his takedowns together and stuff. So I, I think if Antonio Carlos Jr. couldn't get Vittori out of there, it's going to be a hard thing for Fajaya to do. Also, you're talking about a guy in Vittori who trains with Rafael Cordero, Cordero, right? He was uh, at a Kings MMA, and his coach guys like Fabricio Verdum. You know, so he's got experience dealing with these, teaching these guys with grappling specialties how to strike. So – I think that you can expect Vittori's takedown defense to stand to hold up against uh, Fajaya, and I think he's just going to dot him up on the feet. I think this is going to be a win for Vittori. Probably a decision win. I think Cesar Fajaya will be pretty gritty. It'll be hard to get him out of there, but I, I like Vittori in this fight. I like the fight to stay on the feet. I like for Vittori to be able to, even if he does get taken down, I think he'll be able to get back to his feet. Like He's a big, powerful guy, and I think that the punching power and the ability, like I said, Vittori, he's kind of tricky, man. He got, he's got some more length on his punches than you would expect. He hits you from a little bit further away, and I think that might catch Fajay off guard, and it'll lead to uh, – it's going to start opening some things up for Vittori. I think this is going to be a good fight for him, and he'll, I think he'll get back back to winning, back to his winning ways when uh, he comes up against Fajay this weekend. I think that fight will probably go the distance, like I said. I, I, I don't see him getting him out of there, but I do see – I do see – I think Vittori will pick up the win. Uh, next on the card is Carl Robertson versus Wellington Terman. And this is a short-notice fight. Terman's stepping in on short notice, and he's going to be making his UFC debut against a guy who has an extensive kickboxing background. You know, like, his stand-up's very good. And his only two losses in MMA are to Cesar Fajaya, who we just talked about. He got arm-triangled tri- in the first round. And then Glover Teixeira, who arm-triangled him in the first round as well. But – I mean, he's got knockout power in his hands. He strings things together really well. His combinations are wicked. He's, he's a good striker, and I think that it's going to be a tough matchup for this Wellington Tournament kid, who, by the way, I'm going off this fight. Like, I've seen quite a bit of Carl Robertson, and I was trying to look stuff up on this Wellington kid, and I could only find so much, right? But a lot of his wins stem, like, from submissions and stuff. Like, he gets, he'll, he's hurt guys before in fights, but he gets them on the ground and kind of, you know, gets a hold of him and taps him out. So if you're Carl Robertson, you got to be concerned about that, especially considering the only two losses on your record are because of submissions. So I think he'll be wary of that, though, and I think that the level of jiu-jitsu that Carl Robertson has experienced in the UFC is going to be enough. Like, that should be enough of a learning experience that if he's been working on sealing up some of those holes, I think he's going to pick up a pretty easy win over this Wellington kid on Saturday night. Um I don't know. Like I said, Wellington could go out there and surprise me. I don't really know a lot about the kid. I know he's 15-2, and two, right? Like, obviously, he got a good fucking record. He's been fighting in promotions like Immortal FC and Future FC and stuff like that. So, But 
every time you come up to the big stage, man, especially on short notice, it's a big adjustment, and I think it's going to be a lot to overcome for him. I like Robertson in this fight, and I like him to finish it in probably like the second, second or third. I think he'll get him out of there. Uh, I just think he's going to have too much experience on the feet, and it's, he, he, there's going to be a speed difference I think you'll see in the striking, and I just think that you're going to have to be crafty to get Robertson down. Like after you get submitted twice, not just one, he got submitted, and not just – not only did he get submitted twice, like not only are those his only two losses, but they came via the same submission, the arm triangle, right? So, I mean, I just don't see him getting submitted again by a guy who's coming in on short notice. I could be wrong, but I think Robertson's going to take the fight. And next, we've got a featherweight bout between number 10-ranked Josh Emmett and number 12-ranked Mursad Bektik. And this is a great fight because – uh Emmett is coming off that one-punch knockout in the third round over Michael Johnson. Uh, before that, he lost to Jeremy Stevens, where you know there was a question of whether the knee, the knee on the ground was illegal. Personally, I don't think that knee had a. I don't. I think it. I think it grazed him, and I don't think it hurt him enough that it. it like I think Stevens had him hurt enough before that that knee didn't really make a whole lot of difference. Like I don't think it landed with a lot of impact or anything like that. So. I mean, it was it was a legit knockout by Stevens. Don't that's what I'm trying to get at. Like, I don't think that the knee had a whole lot to do with it. But I mean, Emmett was looking good in that fight. He, you know, it, it was a tough fight. He he hurt Stevens in the first round, and Emmett has some fucking power, man. Like when you saw him knock out Ricardo Lamas with that big left hook, whoo, that fucker can throw some bombs. And uh. He's fighting a guy in Mursad Bektik who kind of relies on this gritty type of pressure. And, you know, he, he's a grappler. But he can do everything, man. He's very well-rounded. And he's coming off a win over Ricardo Lamas as well, split decision. I thought personally that he won the fight. I didn't I didn't understand the split decision. But uh, especially, like, he was ta- – you're talking about a guy in Ricardo Lamas who has a lot of wrestling experience. I think he wrestled at the D, at the D3 level. And – uh was pretty successful there, which I mean, like, obviously it's not D1, but he does have a background in it. Mursad was just able to outgrapple him. Uh, before that, he beat up uh, Godofredo Pepe, Pepe, stopped him in the first round. And then in his fight before that, he suffered his first professional loss against Darren Elkins, which was a fight that he was dominating all the way through, like, pretty fucking one sided. And then Elkins knocked him out in the third. And man, what, probably one of the greatest comebacks in UFC history. Really impressive. But the question is going to be like Emmett comes from that alpha male background and they're pretty strong on that wrestling style. So the question is going to be like, A, is Mursad going to be able to stand with Josh? And if he is able to stand with him, or if he's not able to stand with him, is he able going to, is he going to be able to implement the takedowns and stuff? Like, is he going to be able to get past the takedown defense of Josh Emmett to get this fight to the ground? I think what will likely end up happening in this fight is that Emmett has so much power in his hands that I don't think Mursad, or Mursad's going to want to fuck around with it a whole lot. I think Bektik's going to push this fight up against the cage. You're going to see a lot of clinch work, a lot of dirty work, and uh, I think he's going to grind Emmett out to uh, to a decision win. I don't know that he'll finish him. I think Emmett's like – I just think that by the nature of the fight, Emmett will be able to survive, but I think it's going to be hard for Emmett to get his shots off against a guy like this. Like I think that one of the things – Mursad Bektik has a high fight IQ, and I think one of the things that he'll be looking to do is negate one of the things that Emmett could use to stop the fight, which is his power. And if you're clinching and stuff like that, those hands aren't as much of a factor. You know what I mean? 
we'll see. I mean, he, he could end up standing up with them and outclass them there. I really don't know. But I'd expect this fight to be pretty grappling heavy. And I think Mursad's going to get a decision win. And next in the co-main event, Uriah Faber is coming out of retirement to fight Ricky Simone. And Ricky Simone is 15-1, and one, man. And he is fucking good. Coming off a unanimous decision win to Ronnie Yaha. Ronnie Yaya, I'm, I always mispronounce his name. I always fuck it up for some reason. But uh, before that, beat Montel Jackson, who I've had on the podcast before. I think Montel Jackson is one of the more promising prospects at 135 pounds. He's just like super strong for the weight class, super long, has those crazy big hands, which, I mean, if you watch him fight Ricky Simone, the way he grabs a hold of him and just kind of like shakes his arm around and Ricky couldn't get his arm free, it's – He's an, he's impressive. So getting a, and the difference in that fight was just Ricky Simone's ability to just like be tough and grind it out and be in your fucking face and constantly applying pressure, right? Uh, so, I mean, Simone's aggressive, man. Before that, he beat up Marab Davalashvili, and he didn't be. I misspoke. He won the fight in a questionable manner. For the most part, Davalashvili was winning the fight, but. Ricky Simone grabs onto that guillotine, that mounted guillotine, and he's holding onto it for like the last minute of the third round. And Marab is just sitting there like pedaling his legs, trying to keep the blood flowing and everything and let the ref know that he's good. And then literally at the belly, passes out. But he recovers very quickly. But it did look like he was out. So Ricky Simone was granted the win. I don't. That was such a close call. Like that was razor thin. I don't really know what the right move is there. You could argue that Marab came back in time and that he was just laying there you know, after fighting off a guillotine, like just, but it looked like he woke up. Like it looked like he snapped back into reality. So I don't know. I, I don't think you can argue it either way. Uh, I'm not upset that like Ricky Simone was granted the win in that situation. But the point is that like, this guy's going to be a kid who's going to fight till the end and he's going to fight hard. He's got good cardio and he's not afraid to put a pace on you. And Uriah Faber's coming out of retirement. I mean, granted he picked up a win in his last fight over Brad Pickett, but before that, on a little bit of a skid, you know, he lost to Jimmy Rivera, lost to Dominic Cruz, and uh, he's he's 40 years old, man. You got to realize that when him and Rivera, Rivera's 10 years his younger. So in that fight to me, like those two actually had a very similar style, uh, but it was like Rivera was just a little bit more crisp with things. You know what I mean? Like he was a little bit faster to the punch. He was just quicker to everything than Uriah was, and Uriah just couldn't keep up with it. Um. One thing that if you look back over the history of Uriah Faber's career, I think he is susceptible to leg kicks sometimes. And if you watch Ricky Simone throw his leg kicks, he throws them with some intent. I think that'll be a big deal going into this fight. I think you'll see Ricky throw a lot of leg kicks if he's going to want to win. If he's going to win, and I've actually got Simone in this fight. I I just think it's a tough fight for Uriah Faber to come back on. I mean, I think the hope from the UFC is that this is a great fight because. You've kind of got this old, experienced guy in Faber, and you might be hitting the sweet spot where you caught Ricky Simone at this point in his career where a fight with a vet like that is still tough for him, right? Which I think it will be. I don't think it's going to be an easy fight for him, but that he could still win. But, man, I think back to when Uriah Faber was doing this stuff, and I just feel like like when Uriah Faber was like 22-1, and you know, like back in the WEC days when he first started off there and stuff and won the title there. And I just think that when I look at Ricky Simone, he's hungry, you know, and a hungry, a hungry young fighter is scarier than a guy coming out of retirement. I think Ricky Simone's going to want it more. I think the pace is going to be relentless. And I don't necessarily think Faber has that one punch knockout power that's going to stifle anything that Simone wants to do. I just think, 
I think Simone is going to fight an aggressive, tenacious fight, and it'll be enough to pick up a win. I think Faber's enough of a vet and he's savvy enough that this will go to a decision, but I like Simone in this fight. Um, you know, I just think you look at where he is in his career, and I think he's kind of realizing his potential, and I think he's probably got a fire lit under his ass. And I just think that, I, you know, why? What, what's Faber's motivation for coming back? Is it just a fight? I, I don't know. I don't know anything, but I know that Ricky Simone is probably looking at title at the title and thinking that's achievable. So I like Ricky Simone in this fight. I just, yeah, I, I like the youth and the hunger. Plain and simple. I just think he's going to be tenacious. All right, let's move on to the main event between Jermaine Durandamine, who's ranked number one, which is weird because she's probably not going to get a title shot, and then uh, number four, Aspen Ladd, who is seven and zero, and Ladd's coming off of a win over Sajari Eubanks, who she beat earlier in the Invicta days, and. Uh, Invicta's been such a great funnel to the UFC for women's talent in MMA. I mean, you see some really talented girls come out of there, you know? And uh, Aspen Ladd is vicious, and she is a great grappler. She's really talented on the ground. You know, her her stand-up's good, but when she gets you on the ground, that's where it's really terrifying, and she'll get on top of you. And if you listen to the audio, like next time you watch her, if she gets on top at all in this fight, which is going to be hard to do, but if she does get on top, like, or even just go back and watch her old fights, she's like screaming bloody murder and she's punching people. It's kind of fucking terrifying. I mean, you can, it's loud, right? Like, she's just wailing into you and she's like, eh, eh, <laughs> like fucking screaming loud. It's crazy. But uh, very aggressive in her grappling is very good. Like, Sajari Eubanks is no joke and she was able to pick up a unanimous decision went over her. Um, before that, knocked out Tanya Avenger with the ground and pound. And uh, Lena Landsberg, same thing. Her specialty is grappling, but she's fighting a girl in Jermaine Durandamy who has a very extensive kickboxing background. I think she's like 37 and now. Almost positive that she's beat a guy. I don't know if it was in a professional match or an amateur bout, but regardless, she beat up a guy. Um, she's beaten Holly Holm. She's fought Amanda Nunes, Raquel Pennington, who fought in Denver last October. I mean, she's got a lot of talent, man. She's a big girl too. Like she's fought successfully at 145 pounds before. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm looking at is the fact that Jermaine Durandamy has gone five rounds. And this is going to be the first five round fight for Aspen Ladd. And if you look at the Sajara Eubanks fight, granted she was able to win and control the third round or whatever, right? But if you look at her punches, instead of like coming out like, like they're like kind of like slow, you can tell that there's a lot coming off of her punches. Like it was slow or striking got kind of predictable. So. I think that if Aspen Ladd can't get Jermaine Durandamy out of this fight within like the first two rounds, Randomy striking is really going to start shining. Like you're going to see her start dotting Aspen Ladd up, and I think she's going to get her out of there, to be honest. I think that the cardio is going to be an issue, and this is being her first time in a main event. Like Jermaine Durandamy, make no mistake, is elite competition. This, is a, this isn't just a big step up. This is a massive step up. So... I mean, look for Aspen Ladd to try to engage. I think that if they stay at range and stuff and they stay on the feet, Jermaine Durandamy is probably going to have a relatively easy night. So you're going to have to look for Aspen Ladd to engage in the clinch battles and stuff. And But then I look at Holly Holm, who is strong and actually does have good wrestling and stuff, and her takedowns have come a long way. And, you know, Jermaine Durandamy is pretty strong in the clinch. I think she's going to be hard to get to the ground. And I just don't see it yet. Like, I think Aspen Ladd has a ton of potential, but she's still young. I just don't think it's there yet. I think she's going to have a hard time getting Jermaine down. I think it'll be a lot of clinch work for two or three rounds. But as the fight wears on, 
and the less success she has with taking her down and controlling position, the more it's going to discourage Aspen and the more it's going to encourage Jermaine Duran to me. And I think you'll see Jermaine pick up a finish in the third or fourth. Um, I think Aspen Ladd's best chance is to get this thing to the ground and finish it quickly within the first three rounds. Like, if you can dominate the grappling exchanges, that's your path to victory because I don't think it's going to come on the feet. But it's a good fucking fight, and like I said, it's a massive step up in competition for Aspen Ladd, who's ranked number four. But it's a tough one. I mean, it's not an easy fucking fight. You're talking about a girl who has seen the best that the UFC has to offer. So... It's not going to be a walk in the park for Lad by any means, regardless of what her record is. All right. Um, let's move on. I said this before. like, it, I, So fight of the night prediction. I've got Josh Emmett and Rasad Bektik just because I think it'll be the best fight of the night. Like matchup stylistically, like you might not enjoy the fight the most, but I do think that it will be – it's probably the best matchup on the entire card. Um in my opinion, I think it's a great fight, and uh, I think that I think it'll be kind of boring, though. You know, so how can you call that fight of the night? But Matt, but I don't see a lot of fights on here that I think are going to be like barn burner fights. Maybe Ricky Simone and Uriah Faber could turn into that, especially if Ricky dominates early and Uriah feels urgency and they stay on the. F- it, it depends, you know. Actually, Uriah Faber and Ricky Simone might have the most potential for fight of the night. I don't fucking know. I think matchup-wise, the one I'm most excited to see is Emmett versus Bektik. I just want to see who can impose their game plan. It's a big fight at 145 pounds, but we'll see. Fighter to watch, still Aspen Lad. She's got a lot of talent, and I mean, if she is able to come, overcome this mountain that is Jermaine Durandamine, that's a huge feather in her cap. And I think we're gonna get a we're gonna get to we're gonna get a good look at where Aspen Lad is at in her career and what she's ready for on Saturday night. So. Big fight. Keep an eye on her. It'll be interesting to see how she performs against some elite competition. Uh, upcoming events. PFL has their event tonight, actually, week four, and it's headlined by Kurt- Chris Curtis and Magomed, Magomed Karamov, who is supposed to be very good. I'm going to tune in. I think it'll be a good fight. Uh, Kayla Harrison is also fighting on the card, and she's one of the most accomplished women judokus in American history. Um, Bellator 224 is coming up. Kind of a weak card little bit you know that's tomorrow night bud versus ruben i don't really know any of them i mean like granted like i watch other promotions and stuff but it's mainly ufc right and like the big fights and other organizations but there's starting to be so much talent the other ones that i've been paying attention to more but i don't really know a lot of people on the bellator 224 card just being fucking honest but then next weekend ufc on espn ford the sanjos versus leon edwards and i mean Rafael's kind of I'm worried that he's slipping into the same spot that Cub Swanson's slipping into where he's getting older and he's kind of becoming a gatekeeper for these younger guys and Leon Edwards is a motherfucker hard guy to deal with very talented a lot of promise at 170 um Alexio Lennox also fighting Walt Harris on that card Juan Adams and Greg Hardy which Dan Hooker and James Vick is on I don't understand at least he's not headline or like the co-main event but I don't understand how Juan Adams and Greg Hardy is above Dan Hooker and James Vick. Tell me how that makes sense. Like, when I look at those two, Dan Hooker and James Vick, I think that's a great matchup and two guys who have, like, serious martial arts skill and talent and IQ, you know? Like, it's a – Here's something I found on I don't know. My Alexa just went off when I was fucking talking. The shows the vulnerable points on the body where pain can be inflicted. Sorry about that. But, uh – 
I don't know. Whatever. No, they're going to promote him. He's knocking guys dead. What are you going to do? Uh, Alexander Hernandez is going to be fighting again for the first time since his loss to Cowboy against Francisco Trinaldo. And Andre Arlovsky's fighting Ben Rothwell, so that should be a fun one in the heavyweight division. A little more potential for some like knockouts and exciting fights on the next card, just looking at it on paper at least. Uh, I'll probably do an aftermath of this on Sunday after the fights this weekend, and then I'll try to drop a dissection episode for the fights next weekend as well. But uh, until then, thank you everybody for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram. You can find the podcast on YouTube and iTunes right now. I'll try to get it out to a couple more podcast platforms as we as I keep making these. And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So thank you, everybody, and have a good day. Bye-bye. <laughs>